I did before I got to this job and I have a lot to offer, but I'm humble enough in that I have to be humble enough when the sports marketing person says, we want to sign this player. I have to listen to that perspective. I have to ask whatever questions, but like, I'd be humble enough to take that in. I've got to be gracious in that. Like I'm not perfect. And then I got to be ready for the different business challenges, people challenges. So really glad to bring Aaron Seabron to the Sharpen podcast. Aaron became a new friend to our podcast here and after connecting with Aaron, I knew he was the ideal guest we need to have to talk about everything from vision in your career, making pivots, and developing skill sets along the way. Aaron was really fun to learn from. You're going to hear about what his acronym PHGR means and how he uses that every time he sits at a table as that young professional, especially when you're there with the career veterans <laughs> that usually know a whole heck a lot more than we do. But I love how Aaron thinks his role as a leader as a young professional. So here's my conversation with Aaron. Aaron C. Brown, welcome to the Sharpen Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, excited to be here. Well, I told you, I'm so glad to have you on. This is going to be a lot of fun and you have a lot of really neat stories and experiences. But for those that are meeting you for the first time, kind of like I was a few months ago, tell us a little bit about who Aaron is as a person. For sure. You know, I like to think about myself as being a a thoughtful, driven, and curious human being. You know, thoughtful meaning try to be kind of mindful and thoughtful in all my interactions with, with people, with time, with moments. Driven meaning whether it's my family life, my workout life, my personal life, my work life, you know, always driving towards kind of goals and objectives and, and achieving. And then curious, like I'm a very curious human being. I like to read, I like to watch, I like to listen, mm -hmm. you know, kind of constantly always in that pursuit of just learning new things about people, about life, about history, and, and try to do all those three things to be somebody who is constantly figuring out ways to connect dots to make like yeah. a big picture, right? I think a lot of people get caught up in the minutia of the day-to-day -day or the minutia of a setback or, you know, a move forward. But like, you have to always think about how to connect all those things to a, a bigger picture. That's who I am. I, I grew up in the Metro Detroit area and Detroit is a, a city whose motto is, uh, we will hope for better things that shall rise from the ashes. And I think that that really embodies kind of, I think the spirit of people that come from Detroit, you know, that the, mm -hmm that motto is all about grit. It's all about moving through things. And so um, growing up uh, in and around Detroit, I think instilled a lot of grit in me. I played basketball all throughout high school. I was a big basketball player. So that was a big place where I got to cultivate that grit. Went to college at the University of Michigan, studied sports management because after playing basketball all throughout high school, I said sports management is like a combination of what I love with like management on the back of it. So that's, that's what I chose as my major. After college, moved to New York, worked on Wall Street, worked at a nonprofit called Management Leadership for Tomorrow, went to business school at Cornell, upstate New York, then moved to Minneapolis, worked at General Mills and brand management. And then five years ago, almost five years ago, made the jump to Adidas, work for Adidas now, had a couple of different roles there. And I currently lead the baseball business unit. So team of folks that are responsible for, you know, working on products, working with athletes and telling stories to ultimately grow our baseball and softball business. So that's, that's what I do at work. No, married, no kids yet. We're getting a new dog on Wednesday. So we're excited. Yay! Um, you are getting the new dog. I yeah, think the last the time dog. we spoke yeah, that was in, okay, yeah. what yeah, kind of dog? A dog? We're getting a Westie. So our, our old dog, Westie, my wife actually grew up. Uh, that's the breed she grew up with. That's the breed mm -hmm. mother grew up with. And so we had a Westie that died last December, December of 19. So 
uh, we're getting another Westie. So we're excited about that. Okay. Okay. Well, congrats. I can't wait to see pictures. I expect one now. Yeah, I, for sure. I would love to hear when you talked about, you know, being a person of curiosity, I am curious. Is that something that was just kind of natural for you as a child? Like, would your parents speak to that? Or has that been something that, you know, you've really almost honed in on as you've gotten older or a combination of the two? Because to me, Erin, I think just curiosity is such a, whether you say a skill or a value or a trait or a mindset that is so needed in young professionals. So can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I you know, my mom tells me as a kid, I was, I asked a lot of questions, but mommy, why, why, why this? And where does this come from and all that? And so it was a little bit like natural kind of born attribute, but I think it was also cultivated. My mom is actually still a public school teacher. She's, she's mm. years old, but she's still, even though schools are not open in Detroit, she goes down to her classroom and teaches on Zoom to her students. And so it was something I was born with, but I think it's also something that she cultivated as a teacher and that you know, I never was told stop asking questions. It was always, mm -hmm. here's an answer or here's a book or here's an encyclopedia, you know, like to, to solve the question you're asking. So it was a little bit natural, but also cultivated, I would say by, by her. Hmm. That's really special. I hope she gets to listen to this episode because as a parent, you're just, you're encouraging my heart right now too. But in, in some ways and folks that are listening, especially those that have an interest or a passion in sports management, they're like, dang, like Aaron is doing the dream job. Like he has it. That's fantastic. And in some ways you haven't always been doing, we'll say the dream job, but you've done some fantastic work that you've loved. Can you kind of share a little bit about some of these roles that you've had, the pivots you've made and how that's moved you in the direction of sports management, right? Because usually we just don't start from that point, there's a path to get there. Yeah, um, I had to take you back to Michigan, you know, being a sports management major without boring with a, like a fully long story. My dad played in the NFL. He's been a financial advisor for, for a lot of athletes and entertainers since he's cool. been done playing. And he gave me the advice kind of early on in my time at Michigan when I was, I had locked down an internship in sports um, that first summer, like heading into that first summer. And he gave me the advice to, he's like, look, I played at the highest level. I've been in and around sports, managing kind of athletes and, and their finances. My advice to you would be to not go into sports right away and mm -hmm. to get a quote unquote hard skill. And that was a tough thing because I, I had landed this internship and I had worked hard and networked. And, you know, I was like, wait, I'm going to go take this unpaid internship with this, with this football team. And but took heed of that advice and that first summer home, you know, I didn't do the internship and I actually ended up working for my dad that summer. And mm -hmm. that experience kind of turned me on to the world of finance and financial services. So I kept sports management as the major. I wanted that to be the, the knowledge set and kind of academic experience I had at Michigan, but kept that as my major. But then I went over at the time, sports management wasn't in the business school, it was in a different kind of college at, at Michigan, but I went over to the business school and took as much finance account, you know, different, harder, if you will, business courses. And, you know, each subsequent summer, then I went and did internships and in financial services. It's like, okay, I'm going to build this muscle of analytics and finance and build that ultimately went to Lehman Brothers. Um, Can I interrupt you going back yeah. to choosing to take those classes as a college yep. student, because we have college students that listen, was that something you heeded your dad's advice and were like, that's why I'm going to do it. 
or kind of speak to that because that was really wise for being a yeah. college student to think like that. Yeah, I mean, I think one, the major allowed the flexibility in that, you know, you could take a certain amount of coursework outside of course management lived in a school called kinesiology. So you could take a certain amount of coursework outside of kinesiology. So it was taking my dad's advice. It was doing that first internship at a, at a stockbroker's office saying like, okay, my sports management curriculum, I'm, I'm learning a lot about antitrust and issues in sport and athlete psychology and, and all those things. But I wasn't taking finance. I wasn't taking accounting. After doing that experience, I was like, well, the experience with my dad, I was like, I should bone up on things that some of the stuff that I heard working in that office that summer, I didn't understand. I couldn't distill down. And so it was a little bit of advice and there's a little bit of like having that experience in that internship to say there's a gap here and I want to fill that gap. That's really, that's, that's wise. I mean, I think yeah. that that's such a good call out of those internships, even though you may think this has nothing to do with what I want to do. Number one, listen to your parents. Right. Number two, uh, no. So thanks for walking through, I mean, your thinking process yeah. of where that came from. Well, Anna, you know, I would also say, you know, your, your audience is young professionals. Like it's easy to, it's easy to now as a 36 year old say, Oh, I listen to my parents. But at the time, I don't think I, <laughs> listen. I don't think I was thrilled to listen. I mean, that summer, you know, having your dad as your dad is a good thing. Having your dad as your boss when it's like, <laughs> wait, I know you're out late last night that you still need to be, you know, like, so at 36 and be like, oh yeah, listen to my parents. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for your humble reflection on right. being a young person. <laughs> right, right. So tell us about some of those, I mean, you've had such a really cool mindset of, I know there's some like hard skill sets that I need to build and gosh, you were doing that in college, but walk us through some of those hard skill set development experiences you've had as young professionals in a variety of industries, as yeah. you shared with me before. Yeah. So like I, like I said, when I, when I left Michigan, you know, went to Wall Street, went to Lehman Brothers. A lot of your listeners probably don't remember Lehman Brothers. It was one of the preeminent investment banks, although it no longer exists. I uh, went bankrupt in 2008. But I would say that experience taught, you know, being at Lehman for two years, two and a half years, taught me a couple key things that even though I may not be a Wall Street or a finance person today, that still follow me into my current job. You know, first and foremost, this notion of attention to detail and that when you're working on a multi-million or multi-billion dollar transaction, if something is 99% right, it's either going to cost the firm or it's going to cost the client a lot of money. And so that, that rigor around attention to detail, because in most aspects of life, you know, in, in school, if you get 99%, you got a super high A, it's great. But when it's a multi-million dollar transaction and, you, and you're only 99% right, that's, those margins are pretty, are pretty big and, and it's going to cost somebody a lot of money. So attention to detail was one thing. This notion of due diligence, you know, whenever you're doing transactions, you know, you have to do due diligence on the company, due diligence on the industry, due diligence on competitors. And so that's something that followed, even like coming on your podcast, I had to do due diligence, like, okay, let me listen to some other episodes. Let me hear what other people have done. So, you know, attention to detail and due diligence were probably the two biggest things I took from, from Lehman. There were, there were some other ones, but those are the ones that, that pop, pop to me. And then when Lehman crashed, I took a job at a nonprofit called Management Leadership for Tomorrow. Their social mission is to increase the representation of Hispanics, Native Americans, and, and Black folks in Fortune 500 leadership positions. And I've actually done some of their programs in undergrad. And so when I worked at MLT, I worked in corporate partnerships um, because I took the job for a few reasons. A, I was like, I want to go to business school. I need to find some, an employer that will be okay with me leaving for GMAT classes and things like that. And I was super passionate about the mission 
And after Lehman, I wanted somebody that would value my skill set, but allow me the flexibility and the time to study for the GMAT, pursue business school. And working in corporate partnerships really taught me the ability to see things from my point of view, as well as somebody else's point of view, right? I was working for MLT saying, we have these students, they need internships, they need learning, they need content, they need development. Oh, and by the way, XYZ Corporation, you should pay us, you know, to be part, you know, to be a partner. But then I have to also understand the person on the other side of the table, whether they were an HR professional, a diversity recruiter, and so what were their needs, and then trying to figure out how to, to merge the two to create like a win-win scenario, a win-win relationship. And that was really valuable experience um, because at the end of the day, whether it's your spouse, your, your teammate on a business, in a business, your boss, a cross-functional partner, you're always kind of negotiating that win-win and having to see things from other people's perspective. So that was the biggest thing I took from that one. And then General Mills, you know, working in brand management, you're, you're leading a brand, you're leading a team of people, but a lot of times those people don't report to you. So, you know, I was fresh out of business school, smart kid of like, hey, I'm here to lead the Betty Crocker brand. And you know, you're sitting across from a food scientist or an R&D person that's been the company for 30 years and has way more experience than you. And then you need them to accomplish what you're trying to get done as a brand person, but they don't report to you. So I think the biggest thing I took from my time at, at Mills was how to influence without authority, how to, mm-hmm. how to lead people and leading people isn't about, I'm the boss, you should listen to me. It's all about serving them and creating win-win like we talked about earlier. Do you think young professionals, you bring up a good point there of as a young professional, you're often that young person across yeah. from the table of the 30 year, you know, right. wicked smart food scientist or whomever it may be, or the 30 year maintenance manager who could take your car apart and put it back together in 10 minutes or whoever it may be, this skill set that's crazy cool. I mean, tell as a young professional, I mean, what's your encouragement for, hey, you have a seat at the table, you belong there. And here's some kind of like practical notes of how to be an influencer. Is there anything there that you can kind of reflect yeah. on? Yeah, I would, you know, four key things that I think really helped me as a, as a young professional. And it's actually like a, an acronym I keep in my phone that I look at sometimes. And oh, I, cool. I didn't come up with it. So like I heard reference <laughs> once, I don't want anybody listening to this. I'm like Aaron came up with that. I didn't come up with it. Um, but PHGR, so proud, humble, gracious, and ready. Meaning that, you know, when you are that young professional and you have your degree from XYZ school, you should be proud of that. You should be proud of what you've achieved. You should be proud of where you've gotten to in your life. But the the pride isn't enough, right? The pride isn't gonna be what gets you there. You gotta still be humble in that, okay, you're proud of what you've accomplished, but now you're in a new arena, you're in a new space, you're with a new team, whatever it is, staying humble in that, you're open to learn, you're open to build relationships, you're not letting pride dominate. So you're staying humble, be gracious in that, whether it's a setback or a win, you know, you can win graciously, you can lose graciously, but how to always be gracious as the good and the bad things come as a young professional, and then be ready in that you got to get get comfortable with this notion of um, preparing, not planning in that you know, we, we hold things dear, right? I want to be this by this time. Mm. Like if you, if you make it a plan and one thing throws it off a touch or whatever, you could be devastated. 
And if you move away from planning and more so just focus on, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to continue to trust the process. I'm going to read books. I'm going to network. I'm going to this, I'm going to that. If you prepare that plan or vision you have likely will materialize. But if you, if you hold it on as, as a preparation, you'll likely get there. If you make it a hard and fast plan, there's a chance that one thing throws it off and then you're devastated. So mm, yeah. that's kind of how I would advise kind of younger professionals in terms of being at that table, but you got to be proud. You got to stay humble. You got to be gracious, but you also have to constantly stay ready. I, I love that. That's a yeah. simple acronym that carries yeah. a lot of weight. I mean, I, I love it that you keep it in your phone too, because yeah. I think a lot of us experience that, that whether you call it imposter syndrome or whatever it may be, or, just getting your confidence there as a leader, even if you're a direct manager or not, P-H-G-R. I love, yeah. I love that. I love how you've reflected back on some of these hard skill sets. How do you feel like these experiences, whether General Mills to Wall Street, to nonprofit work, to everything between, how do you, and I know you called out some of those, but they've equipped you for what you're doing today. Share with us too, how you even approach, you know, you're in this crazy cool role if you want to expand on that a little bit too, you can, because I told you that, you know, I knew my husband would be man crushing after the episode for sure, but expand on your role a little bit and tell us about how you're focused even in this dream role that feels like I've been prepared for it. This is my space, but how do you continue to grow and develop skill sets and what you're doing today? Yeah, for sure. I threw a lot at you. So take yeah, your time. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I like it. You know, this is my second role at Adidas. So when I joined Adidas five years ago, I was uh, I was in a role leading strategy for a wholesale organization. So working between the head of sales and the head of marketing to drive initiatives that would help us unlock growth with wholesale partners, you know, Foot Locker, Dick's, Amazon, Kohl's, you name it. Honestly, that was a great role. And again, prepare, don't plan. Like, you know, at, at General Mills, I led a I led a brand, I led a business that was that was sizable. And I was naive enough to think, well, wait, I'm leading a business of this size at General Mills. Why can't I just go to Adidas and lead a, a business that size? But being in that strategy role helped me pick up a few things in that it helped me learn the the nuance and difference between like a food business and mm -hmm. a sneaker business are very different. The customers are different, the consumers are different, the production is different. So it helped me just learn the, the nuance and differences of the industry. It helped me learn the nuances of the people and the politics and the company, you know, being in a role where you're with the leadership team, working on strategic projects, strategic initiatives, you got to kind of get the lay of the land, but got to bring a lot of the thinking that I had built up at Lehman and Mills and other places in that I had tools in my toolbox where when I walked in day one, like, yes, I had a lot to learn about the company and the people and the politics but I had tangible skills that when I was given work or assignments or challenges, I could apply those tools to that. And then did that for two years and some change. And then, you know, ultimately I always wanted to get back to leading a business because I think, I think I'm ultimately really good at leading people, leading business and leading ideas and doing all three at once. And so ironically, like I didn't play baseball beyond little league. Like I didn't play beyond age 10 or age 11. And so getting to lead the business unit around baseball and softball, it's not like I'm an expert, right? I have, mm -hmm. I have people that, that I work with that, you know, have played in the major leagues, people that played in college, people that played in the minor leagues, people who, you know, will know more baseball than I will ever forget. Like, I'm not an idiot. Like I, you know, I played little league. I, I'm, like, I'm not like, wait, what's a baseball, but, you know, apply it to your question of how to apply those things in the current role. It's a lot of it is still like PHGR, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm, 
of everything I did before I got to this job and I have a lot to offer, but I'm humble enough in that, like my person who leads sports marketing, I have to be humble enough when, when the sports marketing person says, we want to sign this player. I have to listen to that perspective. I have to ask whatever questions, but like, I'd be humble enough to, to take that in. I've got to be gracious in that. Like, I'm not perfect. I don't make mistakes. And then I got to be ready for the different business challenges, people challenges. And, and ultimately you said, talk a little bit more about what the role entails product. So, you know, all the cleats and uniforms that we make for, for baseball and, and softball sports marketing. So all the athletes and partnerships that we sign to wear our products and, and hopefully amplify our efforts and then communication. So all the, you know, creative content, social that we tell around, tell stories around baseball and softball. But at the end of the day, I, I really think my job is to, you know, have an awesome team that, that works on Adidas baseball and softball. It's my job to grow them and mm -hmm. growing them that helps grow the business. So that that's kind of how, how I approach it now. Hmm. Gosh, that's such a, that's such a good point too, Aaron. As you've made these shifts in your role, you're kind of in one now that's not just as some people call it the individual contributor, you know, yep. it's about building teams, growing and developing them. Tell us a little bit about that, like making that shift and that mindset and that kind of work. What are you learning there as yeah. far as growing others? Yeah, for sure. You know, the biggest thing for me with teams, and I'm so thankful I played sports, you know, in mm -hmm. high school because I think a lot of those lessons still apply in a business context. And, you know, when I, when I've led teams in the past and when I got to this team, you know, did a lot of reflecting when I got the baseball job, I'm like, okay, well, how do I want to lead this team? And I was thinking a lot about over my life, the, the best experiences that I had on teams were ones where we were both connected, meaning we liked each other. We spent time together outside of play or work, you know, play when I was in a kid and then work when I was in a work context. But we're also committed in that yeah. we had goals and objectives and things we we're trying to accomplish. Now I've been on teams that were either one or the other, like I've been on teams where we really liked each other, but we didn't commit to achieving anything. And that was just like fun. I've been on teams where we're like really committed and like nose to the grindstone, get stuff done, but we weren't as connected. So that was just like exhaustion. Hmm. Teams, again, sports or business-wise, where we were both were like the experiences that when I think back on them stand out in my mind. And so when I think about teams, I'm always trying to foster that notion of how can we be super connected, but still committed. And then I think those two notions then end up feeding each other. Cause it's like, well, you can't hold somebody accountable to what we've committed to if they're not holding up their end of the bargain, if you don't have enough of a relationship to challenge them or, or call them out. Um, and likewise, nobody's going to go the extra effort on being committed to something if, they're not, if there's not a strong relationship and bond there. So connection and commitment are like the main thing I always think about with teams, because if you can create both, you can achieve phenomenal things. One or the other, can, you can still get things done. But when you have both on a team, those are the experiences that you look back on. You know, my high school basketball team, like we have a group tech with seven of us on it. And we're not, I'm now almost 20 years post high school, but like that was a team that was really connected and really mm -hmm. committed. And that's why we still have a close relationship to this day. That's awesome. I, I learned this just yesterday, Aaron, but you, what you talked about exactly the commitment and the connection leads to that discretionary effort. 
And it can yep. just be amplified when you have both versus if you just have one, it can be flat or negative, right? Like as far as how the momentum that folks literally yep. feel about their role. So this, we always say sharpens for the workplace and beyond. I'm curious on the and beyond part, you've made a lot of transitions in terms of work roles, the kind of work that you're doing, and you've probably lived and you even gave us some of the the cities, towns that you've lived in to where you are today. Tell us about navigating those transitions as a young professional. I mean, what's been hard as far as making those moves as a young person? What are you learning? What do you feel like has gone well? Because we do become a part of both a work community and a community community, you know, as young professionals. Yeah, I think I've learned a lot at each stop, right? Like I think what I called community when I was 22-year-old investment banker and <laughs> doing wild things in New York City, like different than what I call community now as a 36 yeah. year old uh, living in Portland. But you hit it on the head. Community is super important in that. I think, I think you have to find, like you said, a work community in that you have to find people at work that can help you navigate challenges, tell you truth, you know, how are you being perceived? Because I think there's mm -hmm. always something beneath the surface with a workplace, right? Like you get your review, it says certain things, but then you have to have that person at your company that can translate the you know jargon for this is what it means, this is what you need to do. So Absolutely. when you're younger, finding that person at work who is you know mentor, guide, and I'm sure on other episodes, I think you've talked about mentorship versus sponsorship, but finding though, I just like to use the word translators, find those people that can translate for you. And, you know, corporate corporations are opaque for a reason, right? You, you're not supposed to know everything. So you need somebody who can translate an opaque organization so you can be successful in it. Call them a mentor, call them a sponsor, call them a guide. I call them a translator because they can translate the language for you so you can be successful. So that would be like the work community advice I would give. And then where I've gotten better over time where I wasn't great about it early in my career is like your non-work community can consist of people from work, but you have to make sure that you're building an actual friendship and relationship versus, mm -hmm. okay, these are work people and we're friends, but then we're only talking about work. We're only gossiping and strategizing and thinking. And so I think each move I've made, not that I don't want to be friends with my coworkers because I do, but I've been probably a little bit more intentional about this is somebody I met at work. They have traits that I like about them as an individual. And we're going to build a friendship that when we are hanging out as friends, we're not just talking about work and this happened. And can you believe this? Or can you believe that? And I think each move I've gotten better at that, because if you do the former where you're just taking your coworkers and becoming friends, but you're not actually forming bonds and like a friendship that doesn't revolve around talking about work, that's just toxic. Um, yeah. I think it's really important to have separation from work and life. And so if you're going to be friends with your coworkers. Just make sure that you're having experiences and conversations and things that don't center on who got promoted, who didn't, who messed up an assignment, because then you just never have a break from work. I'm good at that early on in my career. Thanks for sharing that advice. I think that's so true. I don't know about you, Aaron, too. What I love about friendships and so much of what you said resonated with me as well, having moved around. But there is something really refreshing about friends who, and I say this in a good way, like they don't care about what you did at work that week. You know, yeah. like you can walk in and you made the coolest deal or it's like, I use the word coolest deal. How old are we now? But like, you know, it was a big win at work, but they're genuinely like, yeah, 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 that's great. 
like, how are you? You know, right. how's the new dog transition going? You know, right. are you about to lose your mind? And all it's that is really refreshing to have. And, you know, you can absolutely have that with workplace friends, but kind of getting to that point, I feel like I've learned that as well. Yeah. So, and can I, can I add one thing? You know, I yeah. think there's a poem, I don't know who wrote it, I'll butcher it, but I, my mom, you know, taught me it probably like in high school when like I broke up with a girlfriend or something like that and was all sad, you know, about like friendships, right? Friendship, people come into your life for like a reason, a season or a lifetime. I know that's a poem. I can't attribute it. I don't know who wrote it. Somebody <laughs> can Google it after the episode, but I think that's really true for like friendships in the work kind of professional context in that it's really interesting how friendships translate. Cause I think one thing, you know, we've talked a lot about transition. Some friendships that I've had were contextual, right? Like, okay, we both mm -hmm. were in company, we're friends now, but what's been interesting, like I haven't worked at Lehman Brothers in now 12 years. And one of my closest friends is somebody that we started at Lehman Brothers together as 22 year old kids. And, you know, I was supposed to stand in his wedding last year, but then COVID happened. So then he just got married, he didn't have official wedding, but that friendship, there were some people that during my time at Lehman, I would talk to them every day. We'd go to happy hour, all that, but like only one has transitioned out of that context and that's okay. But he's still somebody that can give me perspective, can give me advice that I, that I have a lot of value in. Same thing with people from General Mills. You know, if I ever leave Adidas, I'm sure there will be people that friendship translates. But so I guess the point I'm trying to make is not to discredit that when you make moves that some of those re relationships can transport. And I think yeah. some people are like, okay, I left this company like some of my best mentorship I still get to this day is from a guy who was my mentor at General Mills. And we still talk and struggling with this. I'm, I'm having a challenge with that. And so understanding that relationships travel and that how you treat people isn't just contextual is what I'm trying to convey through all my babbling. It's not clear. It's not babbling. It's such yeah. a good reflection. And even, I don't know about you, Aaron, too, those mentors from other industries or roles give me such diverse perspective on where I am now, because there's something else that they can pull in that maybe a mentor in my current industry or company, you know, just, it, it's just not there. So, and same for friendship. So I love how yeah. you, you shared a little bit of that. Well, it's just so interesting hearing all of not only your experiences, but your reflection too of skills learned lessons along the way. And I love how you both confidently know you are a leader and humbly say, I have much to learn and grow in. And I'm sure that's why you have been and will be successful. So we always ask young professionals on the podcast to do us a favor. And the first of which is to make a shout out to someone or one person, just because we believe it's so important. And you've done this beautifully throughout the episode of kind of weaving in those folks that have been part of your, your life, but we'd love to give you the opportunity to make a shout out today. Cliche, because I already talked about them, but definitely want to shout out my parents. It's been a really tough 2020. This is the first year in 36 years that I have not been with my parents at the holidays. And so mm. my mom got her first dose of the vaccine earlier this week. My dad, I don't know why my dad didn't though. I think there's like a lottery and my mom is a teacher. So maybe it's, it's, she's essential, but I want to shout them out because I, I would never be, I wouldn't be who I am without them and then the sacrifices and all the things they did. And now that vaccines are coming, I hope that I can see you guys really soon and, and go back to Detroit. So definitely want to shout them out because all that they put in is what I've become. So definitely want to shout them out. The cherry on top. If your mom is a teacher, in COVID, she deserves all the shout outs in the world. God bless our teachers in COVID. They're pretty amazing. So we'd love to hear from you too. What's been a game changer in your career? It could be something I told you earlier. It can be something as simple as a great grocery store fund, which I'm all about, or 
something that can have more of a deeper meaning in your life. But we'd love to hear that from you. Yeah. A year or two ago, I read a book called Range by David Epstein. And it's one that I recommend to everybody I mentor, everybody, who, you know, LinkedIn, who people reach out to me, oh, I want to talk to you about your job. Like it's something I recommend to everyone. And it was a game changer for me for the sole reason that the, the main premise of the book, the head title is Range and the subtitle is Why Generalists Thrive in a Specialized World. And he goes through all these examples, painters, Roger Federer, you know, so much that, that they sampled and did all these other things and they built range and that mm -hmm. is ultimately made them successful. And that book, you know, so much of general thinking is like 10,000 hours, pick a lane, do this, do that. And that book just kind of blew my mind open a little bit. And maybe it, it just made me feel better for all these pivots I've made because the main premise of the book is that the more range you have, that is actually what unlocks success versus the traditional thinking of like 10,000 hours in one area is what makes you successful. So I think it's a great book for young people. I think it's a great book, people in college, because people are like, wait, I got to make this choice and pick this thing and it's got to be right. And I always recommend it because it made me just feel better. It kind of validated for me. It's like, wait, I've made all these moves and they're not bad. I've just built more range. And he goes through many examples of, of people who their range ultimately made them more successful because they did, they sampled lots of things, which then when you blend them back together, made them breakthrough in one area. So that book is a game changer for me. It's, it's my favorite book. I reckon it's my most recommended book. I've got it on my list now. I just read one similarly. I'm, I'm on the home stretch of it, of Design Your Life. Design, Design your, your Life, yeah. I've heard yes. about that one. I haven't read it, but I've heard great things. It reminds me a lot of what you're talking about, of exploring options versus feeling like you have to be pinpointed. Because I don't know about you, Aaron, especially as a college student, that is weighty, weighty, yeah. weighty, weighty. Because you're like, to go back to your college experience, you know, where you shared... I'm doing this program, but like, there's these other things I don't know. I, I love that perspective. So, well, thank you so much for sharing with us. It's been our, our joy to have you on. And I, I just can't wait for other young folks to hear and learn from you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Sharpen Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review. And of course, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Until next time.